Hello and welcome to No Direction's official PaizoCon 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. Our coverage would not be possible without the help of our con staff, Paizo, and our patrons. Find more seminar recordings at nodirectionpodcast.com. We're live! Hello everybody and welcome to PaizoCon 2019! Uh, this is the panel uh, talking about moving on from the Pathfinder playtest, moving on to 2nd edition. So today we're going to be talking a bit about what we learned from the playtest, uh, what we uh, discovered by running uh, probably what is the largest playtest to ever happen in the RPG industry. And, uh, and what we took and used to move on to second edition. Hi, I'm the director of game design. I'm Jason Bullman. I'm going to pass it down the, uh, the, the line here and let everybody introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Stephen Radley McFarlane, uh, senior game designer at Paizo. I am Mark Seifter, and if we're putting game in there, I'm a um, game designer at Paizo. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Uh, I'm Logan Bonner. I am a designer at Paizo. That is our real title. Because I like to have the mystery. <laughs> well, we just what, I yeah. what are you designing? We're That's not something. We're not graphic design. No, we're yeah. not. I still I'll get a lot of email about that, being like, yeah. "Would you like the newest, you know, fonts?" And I'm like, uh, "No." Mm. All right. Sure. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I feel like Logan could do your graphic design. No, that's right. Yeah. Logan's got some graphic design. Yeah. Jobs. Yeah. So what we're going to be doing here today is we're going to be talking a bit about the process that took us from the playtest to the final. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the results we got, and uh, then we're probably going to open it up for questions, both to people here in the room and to those of you on Twitch. Uh, so uh, why don't we get started with uh, you know where this all began, which was like, God, three years ago. Yeah, I don't yeah about that, that three, back. four years ago. Uh, when when the entire process began, one of the first decisions that we made, because we've been doing this for years, is uh, you know we knew we were going to start with a gigantic playtest. It worked great for us uh, with Pathfinder 1st Edition, and when it came to 2nd Edition, we knew that the fans would want to give us their feedback, let us hear their minds, and uh, what they wanted out of a new edition of the game. Uh, but I think early on, we decided that this playtest had to be a little different. It, it couldn't be the same sort of playtest we normally did. For those of you who maybe participated in some of our earlier playtests for like, the Advanced Player's Guide, or Ultimate Combat, or Ultimate Wilderness, Basically what those were is we would release classes and be like, play with them and tell us what you think. Mm -hmm. And that makes for a fun experience, uh, but it's not very rigorous scientific data. It's, it's mostly anecdotal because we don't know what you're playing. We don't know what levels you're playing at. We don't even know if you actually even are playing. You could just be reading the class and tell us what you think. And there, there's value in that data, there really is. But it doesn't let us stress test the system. It doesn't let us see where things are working and where they're not working. So one of the early decisions that we made uh, was to apply some scientific rigor to this one. And I, I think, who did I assign to that? I assigned Mark, I assigned you to, to help do a lot of the early research on that. Why don't, why don't you talk a little bit about kind of some of the first things we decided? Sure. Yeah. So I guess as the group's resident scientist, it made sense for me to um, to do the scientific research because I came from a computer science background. And so therefore, I want to stress to all of you who are also from a science background that when Jason said we applied more scientific rigor, by no means did we apply thorough, fully scientific rigor. Oh, yeah, rigor. no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyone Double blind testing. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who is White in the play test very important. who has done a real peer-reviewed um, 
research knows that just the fact that the survey was opt-in has already made it so that it's not fully scientific. But we knew going in that was that was what we were going to get. But we first we we did first test it on mice. Yeah. <laughs> we tested on mouse guard players. Yes, <laughs> we tested it on mice, and we found that at, terrible at least eighty <laughs> at least eighty percent of them did not go on the internet and complain about the game, which right. we thought was pretty good. Yeah. Um, we like these mice. Yeah. So we wanted, knowing that there was always going to be a selection bias, um, so that we can't scientifically prove anything about everyone or all fans who played the game. We knew that we could scientifically prove things about the set of people who self-selectedly answered our surveys. And that's what Jason means. We decided to be as rigorous as we could knowing that it wasn't going to be fully accurate, that it was going to be accurate to the people who were willing to answer the survey. So what we did was I basically went on a quest to read a bunch of papers that were free or <laughs> other things that were online about uh, modern survey science, and we tracked down certain best practices, such as using a Likert scale, which you, if you took the survey, who here did any of the surveys? Who here took At some of our one. surveys? Oh, well, awesome. Thank you. Okay, so a Likert scale is extremely X, very X, somewhat X, not so X, not at all X. Do you remember seeing that a lot? Research shows that that is going to make it easier for you to tell us your preferences um, and give us the full five scale than if we were like, very great, somewhat great, eh, it's okay, not so great, uh, or like, or, or very, or pretty bad, very bad, which you I might think, have seen. I think the thing is we had to avoid anything that only had four. Yes. Uh, because that inherently has a bias, either positive or negative. And we had to avoid any language, and this is especially true in questioning, that was suggestive of an answer, right? right? Uh, we had to relearn how to ask questions. Um, and, and yeah, you did yeah, a you lot Yeah, you can't of, say, yeah. did you like this encounter? Yeah. Because then um, there's a bias towards some people who are taking it to say that they liked it. Or did you find this encounter too challenging? Then they would bias to say they did. Uh, whatever you ask. That's exactly what Jason was saying yeah. there. So with a Likert scale, you don't have, the problem is if you do four options, you force people who are kind of ambivalent to go up or down. Two options, if you've ever seen like Steam or anywhere else that you can only thumbs up or thumb down, you have a lot of problems when you have only two options and you can not, you lose a lot. Five gives you a lot of gradation, but if you do a neutral option, you wind up with too many people picking it. And so with a Likert scale, uh, that's just one thing. I'm not going to go into anything else because I just feel that was the most fundamental one. Um, we really got a, a wide variety of answers from you guys. We saw answers all the way from extremely X to not at all X. And basically, we were able to use that information and some of the other survey sciences and tools that we had on SurveyMonkey in order to cross-reference people. It's like, well, the people who said that they really didn't like the game but what did they think about this option? Oh, wow, they actually, they liked this thing that was in it. But so um, we basically were trying to be a little bit more scientific. And the surveys, I think, exceeded far beyond my expectations, which were already, I was thinking, that the surveys were going to help us. And obviously, these guys have been here for more of the playtests at Paisa. I've been here since the Occult Adventures playtest. This was by far and away, you guys did an amazing job. This was the best data, the best playtest. Uh, information, the best refinement that we've ever been able to do on a play test by an order of magnitude. 
Yeah, I, I, there was a point where I almost felt like I was drowning in data. Like, <laughs> like in, in our previous playtest, some it was of you like, probably did as well. Yeah, <laughs> you were you were drowning in questions, yes. right? And you know, uh, and 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 for those of you who toughed it out and made it through all of it, or even made it through the majority of it, thank you. Like that data was really invaluable, and we'll get into and, some and, ways that that. And that, we saw a significant drop off over the course of things, which we expected, but we yeah. still had a significant amount. Of data. Yeah, there were certain numbers that I wanted to make sure we hit to have kind of statistical relevancy. Like if only ten people take a survey, those are that data is not worth a damn. Uh, mm -hmm. But you know, we had hundreds, and in some cases, thousands of people yep. take various stages of these surveys, and that, even though it's self-selecting, you start going well. We're now getting to a, a reasonable percentage of the audience, so we have to be at least heading in 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 toward data that we can start to trust. We still can't say anything about the total audience. No, but, no, but. we can say for sure out of the audience of anyone who is willing to take in the play test, and for instance, of the people who did the first survey, we can say things about the later surveys, even though they didn't have everyone. So talking about the drop off, my favorite thing is, who do you think dropped off? later on in the survey. Don't say it out loud, but my guess is that you probably think it's people who rate answers similar to you, because everyone on the message boards who was very positive is like, oh, the positive people stopped answering the surveys, and the people who were giving negative answers, I bet the negative people just didn't have fun and didn't answer the surveys. The ones who didn't answer the surveys and who stopped answering were the ones who tended to rate things quite positively, but not extremely. They were like, this is very good, very satisfied, very, good, uh, um, very fun. Four out of five, essentially. They were they were kind of like, okay, yeah, this is good. They don't have to change too much. I'm pretty happy. I'm not that invested. I'll come back next year. The extremely satisfied stayed, and all the people who were low um, wanted to stay because they wanted to make a change. So you can figure it out now that I've told you, but a lot of people were thinking, it's me. My type of people changed, left. That's why they're getting less simple from that. But actually, it was the people who were quite happy but not totally the most extreme evangelists. So uh, we, we decided that we wanted to, to perform a test that had at least something that we could measure, right? Uh, and I, I, I think, you know, as we were building the game and as we were putting together some of those early pieces, we, we had to try and figure out a way to do that. And it was, it was it's, a, it's a challenge because you can't just hand out the game and say, play it and then fill out these surveys because GM style might be different, number of players might be different. There's so many different variables in there. Oh yeah, we decided to run this old OP or you know AP or you know the the group who's like yeah we ran a homebrew in Forgotten Realms and it was crazy, uh, you know I, I I think it can go so many different ways that one of the things that we identified very early on is that we had to remove some of the randomness from the process. We had to at least get everyone playing the same adventure. That way we had a baseline. So everybody's playing these same encounters over and over and over again. Let's ask questions about them. Because at least then, we kind of could gauge how various parts of it were working. And we could create sections that were, in essence, tests. Yep. Uh, and each one of us wrote various parts of the test. We had some uh, help from some other authors. Uh, at, at Paizo as well, and he's like James James Jake. He's fleeing from the room before we can put a mic on him. Uh, but uh, so uh, we, we, and Amanda, it, yeah, and Amanda. Yep. So I think it's it's good for us to kind of chat about about each one of these tests in particular. We'll we'll lay all our cards on the table now that it's all said and done, uh, and just cut down to brass tacks. Uh, so first of all, how many of you played through the whole thing? 
A fair Ooh. number of you. All right, yeah. How many of you at least got like halfway? Somewhere there. All right, yeah, all right. Who now, played Lost Star and stopped? Nobody. Well, nobody. Weird. Okay. All right, everybody made it past Lost Star. And that's really put, interesting. Put data. But st that's statistically, if you weren't the people in this room who came to PodsCon, statistically, you might have. Well, see, and this is the point of the, the one of the points of how statistics can lie to you. Yep. <laughs> you might look at that and go, wow, everybody played through the first one. Well, except for the fact that all of you have self-selected as some of the biggest Paizo fans out there. Yep. <laughs> you all deserve a huge round of applause, which means of course you played through the first part and made it to the second, because you guys are all awesome. Uh, but no, I, I Don't I feel bad if you haven't played it all, because we didn't You're yeah. still awesome. Oh, yeah. 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 And if, if, yeah. If, if you didn't raise your hand because you didn't even play the first part, we know who you are. <laughs> we, got, we got your IP address. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cookies. Yeah. So. Uh, let's talk about some of the testing objectives here. Uh, so, uh, obviously, you know, we were trying to build a game that had a lot of robust moving parts. We wanted to, you know, change a lot of things about Pathfinder. Some things that we were learning weren't quite working the way we had hoped. I think one of the biggest ones of those was the way that the fractional math worked in first edition. Eventually ended up with real discontinuity of play. If you started out at first level, you got worse at certain saving throws percentage-wise as you went up, because the save went up at a pretty reasonable clip, but yours stayed behind, so you actually got worse. Yeah. It was like counterintuitive to the playing experience, so we knew we had to change up some of those things, and we wanted to find ways that we could test some of our new assumptions about the math, some of our new assumptions about the way the game plays, and some of our new assumptions, uh, or rather, <laughs> some of our assumptions about how those things wouldn't affect how the game actually felt, and that was key. So that was actually testing goal number one uh, for the Lost Star. The goal there was literally when playing this game using the new rules, using the new engines, does it feel like a Pathfinder game? That was it. That was literally the only testing goal. Provide an ordinary play experience. Here's a dungeon. Here's a bunch of monsters. Nothing. I'm not trying to push any boundaries. Nothing's trying to be too hard except for that one damn lock that I shouldn't have put in there. <laughs> I don't know which one I'm talking about. Jason, uh, you're just a killer GM. Your your not too hard dungeon was full of severe encounters, so it wound yeah. up being pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, because that's why there aren't uh, there aren't a lot of high level characters because they don't make it through my first level dungeon. <laughs> Jeez, Mark, maybe, I thought you would have learned that by maybe now. Maybe we should have had Steven write the first module for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Oh, you have not played one of my low levels. <laughs> I only played your high level Mark, ones. Yeah. Mark, Steven, and I are cut from the same cloth on that one. <laughs> Steven doesn't put incorporeals against level one, do you, Steven? Oh, I have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. I didn't do that this time. All right. So, <laughs> that was Crypt of the Everflame. You shush. All right. Uh, oh, yeah. Back in my Wizards of the Coast days, I put Mind Flayers in a first level adventure. Why did you do that? Okay. There was plenty of warning. There was plenty of warning. And he was locked in a, he was, he was locked in a box, as long as he didn't know. Oh, All right, anyway. Uh, That's why Pathfinder doesn't so, have Mind Flayers. Uh, that was the entire testing goal of part one, was just to A, learn the basic ropes of how the game works, learn the new action economy, learn how the ebb and flow of the game works. Learn how to make characters. Learn how That's, to not open locks. Learn how to not open a locked door. Because uh, uh, it's like for a level three or four party and it's a first level dungeon. Learn how centipedes still suck. Um, you know, there, there, were, there were lots of lessons to be learned there, but there wasn't anything we were stress testing. That would be almost the entire rest of it, where we stress test various parts of the game. Uh, but for that first one, 
Nope, just wanted to give you an average play experience, let you feel your way through the game. And I think our results were very positive uh, at that. The, 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 the adventure rated very highly. Um, most of the feedback on the adventure itself was very good. Um, there were some, you know, there, there were some struggles and complaints with various parts of the game, but there wasn't a lot that we, like, after those first weeks, and mind you, these were, this was like the three weeks after Gen Con, I wouldn't say that we actually had learned much at that point in time. We were we were staring at the survey results going, okay, now we have a baseline. Yeah. That that's all we were trying to do was be and, like yeah. and it was where's kind of the where's affirmation the of some of the stuff that's like if this doesn't work, the whole game is screwed. I was like <laughs> like the action economy. If everybody's like, We hate this, we'd have been in trouble. Yeah, that, yeah. So there's a lot of just like, okay, we can at least breathe out. Then a we at bit. least know to yeah, pack so up yeah. our desks before Christmas. Uh, <laughs> I personally learned about the encounters we missed when we played through it in the office, which were all severe encounters. I was like, there's only one. So, oh, there were like three you, rooms we didn't go into. You guys all did severe. like walk right past them. So we play tested <laughs> this whole thing internally before it got sent to the printer. And yeah, you guys did kind of walk right past all of those in the first one. Uh, Logan, why don't you talk about part two? You wrote that one. Yeah, so part two is, uh, is the first one that really does have some stress testing because there's uh, it's testing out kind of the exploration system, and you can see like once it starts getting stress tested, like the ratings start to go down. Yeah, um, which Jason will talk about more later. Um, <laughs> so the uh, um, so it was kind of like all right, there's some challenges in this. We really want to see if people can make the amount of progress we expect them to be able to. Um, and there's like the Manticore fight, which we knew was going to be pretty hard. And fourth level was also kind of like in our math progression. It's a tough level because you don't have a lot of magic gear, but the monsters are like, we're ready for you to have some magic gear. Um, so we knew that was going to be kind of a, a tricky point in the game. And you just don't have third level spells yet, too. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, so there's a lot of, uh, it was kind of an interesting uh, testing point. And we also I, started testing like tactical terrain. Wasn't that yes. the yeah, code word for it? Test, was the yeah. terrain yes. test, despite the fact yeah. that the internal code name for the game was terrain as well, which right. made the whole thing very good. The tricky thing so, was that which we. Which is why you had, yeah, you had a lot of difficult terrain, climbing, yeah. and that kind of stuff for the first part, and then the, the, the latter part is a little more uh, just dungeon yeah. And if I recall, we didn't actually operate the encounters difficulty for the terrain to test to see if encounters got made hard enough by terrain that we should. Yeah. I think we determined that they should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, I think one of the most valuable things we learned from that is that we needed to adjust our encounter construction guidelines to let GMs understand that throwing entire fields of difficult terrain really doesn't amp up the difficulty when the bad guys can fly and yeah. stuff. It, it, it you also, shouldn't underestimate yeah. that. It was also the first one that had several hazards in it to kind yeah. of test some of those, test the complex hazard rules and some of that. Oh, yeah. We learned that quicksand. People were even even some of the fans who were very constructive and very very good on the message boards with feedback was like the one thing I hate about this and I like everything else or dislike things but you say you're changing it, is quicksand you should be able to help people get out quicksand yeah so I think we could tell them thanks to your feedback on part two you can help people get out quicksand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why don't we talk about part Stephen, okay. do you want to talk about part three? That was Amanda's. Right. She's not here. So. No, she's not here. Um, uh, the, the whole goal on part three was basically to test the boundaries on uh, not only healing, but dealing uh, damage with spellcasters on undead. So that was the one where basically you're all holed up in this mansion and hordes and hordes and hordes and hordes and hordes of undead come in. We, um, at that point in time, and it's good that we tested this, right, we were really 
we, we knew what we wanted out of the uh, the, the healing uh, arts, out of uh, out of our various healers, the clerics. Uh, we asked you to play pretty strong healing classes, from from bards to to, to clerics to paladins and and whatnot. And, um, we just wanted to make sure that that was right. Um, we found that we were close, but not quite there. So a lot of that stress tests allow us to sort of reevaluate, reevaluate the math, figure out exactly where certain things need to go. We knew we liked the the three aspect part of healing mm -hmm. and everything you else. We actually learned a lot from Magic Missile. Yeah, that allowed yeah. us to restructure the way we did heal. Yes, yeah. you yeah. guys yeah. loved that. That was one of the yeah. highest so rated Magic things Missile in the game. So, so uh, let me explain. So Magic Missile uh, in the playtest and in the final is the same spell. We didn't change anything about it because it was universally pretty liked. It was Magic Missile, if you don't remember, is uh, you spend one, two, or three actions to cast it, and then you get one, one two, two, or three, three missiles. Yeah. And no one felt bad that they could only spend one action, but it did mean they tended to save it for yeah. more actions. And the way heal worked, um, was uh, it burst out. The, the more actions, it was one action was touch, yeah. two, two action range. was uh, range. range, and the three action was everybody. Area. But the amount you healed was the same no matter how many actions you for, spent. For, for one and two. For one and one, two. two were the same. Uh, and then three, three was reduced. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what we found was that people would, the cleric, if the cleric started next to somebody who was badly hurt, the cleric would just go and heal him three times. And take them from you know nearly zero to almost full. Right but there. then run out of and, but most then run of the clerics healing. healing too quickly. So the well, whole thing and, was. And the funny thing is, like the thing we one of the things we were worried about in that particular in chapter three was like the burst healing everybody yeah. and hurting all the undead. That ended up not being the that problem. That wasn't the right. problem. Uh, we we asked you guys the playtest. It was the, the triple heal single target. Yeah, so, we asked you guys how much you did of each yeah. one in that chapter in the survey, and you told us, and oh boy. Yeah, it was and the that's one when we really heal. started realizing that the one action yeah. was the problem. It wasn't the three. So we looked at Magic Missile and we said, well, Magic Missile is working, and it has a similar structure mm. in terms of how people use it. But that is rating much more satisfactory than heal, which people are burning through way too quickly yeah. and not giving them the thing they wanted. That tied into larger discussions about heal, which I'm sure we'll come back to later, yeah. about healing outside of combat and what people felt like was appropriate pacing and all that mm. sort of stuff. But the one thing we realized is that people wanted their heal to have oomph, but they didn't mind paying, if we applied the same structure of applying more actions to get more oomph and not just changing the range, right. the whole spell worked better. And all of a sudden people were saving it using you know the two action range or the three action to hit everybody. The one became just a thing in emergency, which then meant people weren't burning three of them in a round. So now one is heal some, two is heal more than um, before and at range. And then three is the same amount as a one, but to everything in the area. So, so we kind of, we made it closer to the baseline of other spells where two actions is where you really get the most punch out of it. But you sell the one action and the three action for special situations where it's like, I need to heal a lot of people, or I need to do something with my other two actions, but I'm going to heal you a little bit. Or, or I, yep. I move next to the guy who's dying. If yeah, he has to stabilize. make that, that check next round and fails it, he dies. Yeah. I'll throw the one action heal at him, even though it doesn't really do much for him. It prevents it him from him. having yeah. to make the check. Yep. Like, it, it gave us the versatility and allowed us to kind of more finely tune how many we gave you. 
And we got this all from the feedback, mostly on yep. part three and some miscellaneous survey stuff that mm -hmm. came later. Because on a separate survey about clerics, you guys had said you liked the overall structure feel, but then you gave us more detailed feedback about exactly what Jason said that you didn't like. So it's like it's overall highly rated, but these are the these are the quibbles. Let's make it as good as Magic Missile. Yeah, took us a few tries, but we got it. Uh, yeah. I think we had yeah. four iterations after yeah. the initial playtest, and then yeah. we finally reached it. Yeah, the final the final version. We're perfectionists now. sometimes. The, uh, the final version, that two action at range heals for a D8 plus eight. Uh, at and level one. for every level you put on top of it, it adds another D8 plus eight. Yeah. And there's so, a feat to make that but more. They're limited, <laughs> and, and they become the thing that you do in the middle of a fight to burst someone heal back up. And then we looked at out of combat resources to make people heal without burning or heal up without using their spell slots. You may have so heard that became, in the updates. Yeah. It all works in concert now in a way that, that really feels kind of organic and natural. Let's move on to part four. Mark? Yeah, I ran yeah. that one on the on the Twitch stream as it turned out, because Eric went to um, where was it? It was uh, Comic Con. Yeah, and, and just didn't have time to prep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I wound up running, I'll, so I'll talk about four and seven, which I, I was the understudy for all of them, and I wound up running two, actually. <laughs> so um, part four was very much an homage to the Kingmaker Adventure path that even takes place on a map you can slot in exactly south of the Nomen Heights map from part three of the Adventure path, and it will fit with all the mountains and rivers. Um, and so it's got some exploration, but and the exploration, so we had a sort of secondary design goal of what is it like to do exploration? Does it feel like you're going around in Kingmaker? We even had like economy, loyalty, and stability for a while, but then changed them to things that made more sense for the adventure. But the primary goal that we were doing at the same time was something else that you guys told us about all the time on the message boards about Kingmaker, which was, well, I'm doing Kingmaker, and so we go through the woods, and then this giant monster appears, and we just alpha strike it, and then we rest because we're going through the woods, and it's one big fight each day. So that one we called, the internal goal's name was Nova Test. Oh. And it's testing what happens to the balance of the game when not only is there only one fight per day, but you kind of know that there's only one fight that day. Does that change the relative balance between a fighter and a wizard? to be different than it is in the other tests. And that's one of the reasons it's at the level it is, because you have a lot of resources. Right, because at first level, that's kind of useless. But by <laughs> Asking first level characters to Nova is like, well, I cast Burning Hands, I guess. We're All right. <laughs> burning Hands, Magic Missile, Arcane Bond, Magic Missile, OK. Yeah, OK, yeah. time for napping. Well, there we go. But you had more than enough to actually Nova, but the question was, what did it change? And we found some very interesting results. First of all, the Sea Serpent, which got added into the adventure later on, um, had an overpowered Spine Rank ability, which now is not one action. Um, second of all, we found out that, in fact, um, you guys were reporting that the Nova tests were less overpowered for the PCs just killing it and more satisfying of, of big boss encounters than you, than you thought that they were in Kingmaker in the first edition where the pieces would just kill it because they threw every resource at them. And then my favorite result, which was totally unrelated to either of our goals, but just warms my heart. If you were the kind of person who just role-played in Kingmaker and befriended the kobolds and all the different weird evil races and mostly just don't fight against stuff, and you think our group's the weird group, everyone else goes into the dungeon and kills everything. Turns out that in part four, 
big majority of all of the groups, it, whether you're an old, uh, a experienced player or you said you just started out with this playtest and have barely been playing, whether you hated the playtest or loved the playtest, no matter how you filter it, about 75% of groups use diplomatic means, even in some of the encounters that were unlikely, like the Cyclops, where you have to roll well or they're just going to attack you anyway. So you can know that if you would like to diplomacy with the weird creatures when that's an option and you thought you were weird for that, actually, your group is in the majority. So those are really the results that we got from, from that chapter yeah, overall. I, I think that allowed us to look very closely at our, our mechanics on what happens when a group faces higher level monsters. Yep harder challenges and make sure that we weren't creating a system where, oh, this monster's two level higher than us, it TPKs us every time, mm -hmm. right? Yep. There was some worry about that, right? That the way that the new crit system works, mm -hmm. the, the plus minus 10, means that the more we push on one side or the other, the more they become likely to crit, the more you likely are more likely to fumble. So we needed to test the system to see whether or not if you threw all your resources at it, were you able to overcome those percentage odd differences? And, and you were. So, I mean, it, it worked. It allowed us to tune the numbers a little bit more closely, I think, in, in right. final. But that, that was one of the, the most useful things I, I personally dug out of the data. For I that. think that was huge. And just learning about the role playing, which we'll get to again when we get to Steven's adventure, which was one of the most popular, and we, now we know why. It told us it was important for us to be more careful and put more rules to make sure that we gave you rules that covered that role-playing area because actually a huge number of people use that, maybe more than we thought. So part five. Nothing, uh, nothing really to say about that one. Yeah, no. <laughs> there was so much role-playing in part five. Part five, <laughs> part five was intentionally, it was called the TPK test. It was, <laughs> it was. Right. Part part five's entire job was to TPK the party. It, it wasn't if it was when was yeah it wasn't yeah. it wasn't even a we had a two percent success rate on that like two percent really? of tables actually beat all nine waves which leads me to believe two percent of judges fudge the numbers <laughs> uh, no I'm pretty sure two percent of tables beat it. That's about uh, yeah, that's about what I expected. Just you get good dice rolls that, against yeah, the, one in, the, one the harder 50, gunner. One in it's fifty tables will get the yeah. get the get the right get a long enough string of high yeah. die rolls yeah. to, yeah. to yeah. wipe out some things, or happen to just I pick the right themselves. pick the right <laughs> character <laughs> options <laughs> to kind of solve the problem. If you had good yeah. damage yeah. and a lot of elements, yeah. you had a good shot. So, but there is at least a small percentage. It's like if we say we got through all of this, it'll cheese Jason off. Yeah, that's why. That's why all those surveys results were from Stephen Rasmir. Rasmir. Here's a fun story for our, our internal playtest, uh, which is uh, Jason was the wizard, and he was very carefully conserving all his spells because he's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play this smart. Got dominated by the lich, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then hadn't, hadn't the used quicken spell yet either. So boom, boom. And then I was like, "Well, I'm dominated now. Time to unload on the party." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the entire point of that was to TPK the party, and it, it was fascinating to we we very carefully monitored it to find out when the parties were dying. How much punishment could high-level characters take before they collapse? And oddly enough, we got a little bit of discordant results because a lot of people, like a full like 20, 25% of tables died in round two. Round which, two was one of the three hardest rounds. Yeah. It was yeah. one of the harder rounds, but you were also supposed Globber to be Zoo. relatively fresh. Um, 
But it just had the right suite of abilities that if you were the wrong group and didn't roll so hot, it would wipe yeah. you. And then the Demi Lich killed everybody. Uh, um, I think the vast majority of tables, uh, the mo I think it was almost 50% died to the Demi Lich. They would make uh, it up to the Demi Lich and they'd be out of resources and that thing would just smoke them. Um, if they passed the Demi Lich, they usually made it to the to the end where yeah. they met their end. Yeah, where all, <laughs> where almost all the rest died. Um, but I think you know what we what we wanted to get out of that was just kind of like, okay, these are higher level characters. Can we actually kill them? Like, I, I gotta be honest, there was some concern that the way the mechanics work and the way we had some of the things set up that maybe people don't die as often as we think they probably should if you throw really hard things at them. Um, yeah, we, we we didn't have anything to worry about. Uh, <laughs> it was fine. Yeah, we can yeah. easily kill yeah, yeah. people. Uh, so, uh, test yeah. six. Test six. That, that's uh, oh, that's oh, yeah, that's mine. Um, so, test six was red flags. Uh, after the beating that you just got, we thought we'd give you a relative break with test six. Uh, one of the things we wanted to make sure of was that those role-playing rules uh, that we'd started out earlier and um, uh, things like higher level spells that tend to focus on pretty powerful divinations and the ability to sort of just bypass um, uh, it, it encounters that, uh, of a more intriguing sort were working. Uh, that we could have higher level play uh, with, that kind of, uh, with that kind of play style and it wasn't just boring. Um, we also wanted to, you know, give you some quirky characters to interact with, because you know, uh, you didn't get to talk to the Demolich, and we're really sorry about that. He had such a backstory, right? <laughs> and that was right. He did. Like he used to own a farm, <laughs> and so we decided to throw you into the shackles uh, on the smoker uh, for uh, Captain's Works. Uh, party to uh, consecrate uh, a, a, a shrine um, where you got to meet all sorts of interesting people including a contract devil and, and chase down the last theorem which was supposedly somewhere in, 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 in Captain Work's vault. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we, so we, we it was all social encounters. A lot right? of it, yeah. Was, yeah we, we wanted a thing where it's like you're really powerful and you could just start trying to smoke people, but you really can't. Right. It's not a good environment for that. So it's frowned upon. Is the game still fun? Yep. If you're not just using combat abilities constantly, yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's what we were trying to get at. Was, Plus the dungeon afterwards, just yeah. to see if those right, high right. level effects just bypassed that whole dungeon somehow. And, yes. And they didn't. Mostly. And they did, yeah. And, yeah. And, and then later on is we'd had some traps and everything before, but we wanted to have have kind of an interesting series of uh, uh, of traps and complex traps and complex trap areas um, because you're higher level at that point. You've got a lot of spells at your disposal. Um, could yeah. you just sort of walk through all those things? Turns out uh, either either you can't or you just didn't. Um, uh, actually, in, in the playthrough uh, that I did in the stream, turns out. Uh, you can't. Um, and then, of course, we punctuated it with a a, a big thing at the end with with a kraken and a uh, vault and a vault that's pretty hard to crack and a vault yes. that's pretty hard to crack. Release so the kraken. Could you <laughs> fend off this pretty meaty creature, uh, get to your goal, and and get out and be successful? And so, so in that one, we had a main goal. I think that one was more like the. Uh, we were just talking about high-level role-playing, mm -hmm. and then we were able to add some some minor tests onto that one. Yep. 
And then we get to the final, final test, part. which... Yeah. Um, That's uh, the other one I is, ran on the stream. Yeah, <laughs> uh, to keep it simple, though, uh, just because we're running a little And there wasn't that much different um, in that one because it had mostly the same goal as the first. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but on said, the opposite end of yeah, the spectrum. Yeah, we said, hey, is high-level play fun? Is, yeah. Is it fun? Is it manageable? And does it feel like Pathfinder while also not being as weighted down and slow as high-level play sometimes can get in Pathfinder first edition? And does it break? So that was basically basically it. There wasn't a mm -hmm. complex thing yeah. here, just like part one. It was just a bunch of high-level threats, and you are high-level characters. If you face all them, is it fun? Is it a slog? Is it yep. you know how does it work? And the funny part is we didn't really find like the total duration. Like we asked people questions every time. Like, did you think combat was too long? Did you think the adventure was too long? And we asked for just a rating on this. And it almost never really changed. That that number sat almost the exact same throughout the entire playtest, even when we got to high level, which told us we were doing something right. Like there was some element of it that was working the way we wanted. Because it was um, good. It was good ratings, even so, among some of the people who didn't like other aspects of the games. Yeah. It was generally rated quite well on how long did the combat in total take? It was about what they wanted. How long did my each round take? Yeah, when we, about when what they we ran some of these through the paces, we found that internally almost all of our combats took four rounds. First level, 20th level, they all took four rounds. Um, we actually tried to push away from that in some ways uh, with some of the game design decisions because we thought it was a little too formulaic. But um, So, uh, you know, we gathered all this data. We ran everybody through this complex series of tests which had all these different testing objectives. We asked you a whole ton of questions. And we took all that and we cross-tabbed the hell out of it. <laughs> we would take the data and we would split it up by saying, okay, all the people who hated this scenario, let's isolate their data by itself and just look at it as it's compared to the norm. Where is, what was, what about their play experience wasn't working? They them. died in that scenario. Yeah, well, that, that oftentimes you'd be surprised. <laughs> like, we would double cross-tab. I'd be like, all right, all the people who rated this scenario one star. All right, now remove all the groups that TPK'd. And now I've got a really interesting subset. Now, you can't go too far to the point where the data isn't really meaningful, but yeah. it, it did show us some very interesting things about a lot of different systems. And then we also got to the point where uh, we also just asked giant questions about the game engine itself. Just asking about various parts of the game, some that we knew were going to be controversial from the beginning, and we wanted to see whether or not they would work. I would say that some of the things that we thought were going, like we had a, yes. we had a, we had a pool of things that we were like, this is going to be controversial, this is going to be controversial, this is going to be controversial. Not resonance. all of the things that were on that only list. Resonance really was. Only, not all of the things on that list were actually controversial. We were kind of taken aback by it. The um, sorcerers with the different um, types of traditions of magic yeah, we, yeah, and yeah, the occult bards were two things. I wasn't sure that these yeah, guys yeah. would accept that. Then when they were like, this is awesome, I wasn't sure like uh, other people at Paizo would accept that. And then when they said it was awesome, I still wasn't sure you guys would accept that. Well, now I know that 90% of you preferred it, even when we gave a list of options that included going right back to the way it was before, like that warms my heart. So let's talk about some of those controversial things uh, here just a bit. Uh, first of all, resonance, we shot it in the head, it's gone. <laughs> um, it, it, it never did what we wanted it to do. The, the thing we were trying to get it to do was have a push and pull to the price of items versus your usage of items so that we could have a scaling economy. I don't want to go into all the math behind it. It's, it's too complicated and boring. Uh, but the, the point is what we were trying to do was create a, com a competing force for how you spent your money to get magic items for your character. That's it. That was the entire point of the system. 
But the moment somebody was like, wait, I might be on death's door and drink a potion and not have it work and I die, I hate this system. And we get that, right? And, and it was a lesson, you know, it was a thing that we suspected. Mm -hmm. uh, but And it turned out to be overwhelmingly true. So we got rid of it. Uh, we found different ways to solve those problems. Um, and, and some we said, well, we'll have to live with this problem. But people yeah. lived with it in first edition, and we've yeah. slightly reduced it. Yeah, if, yeah. We, can, if so. we can ease it, it in ways, yeah. right? It was, you know? it was too much of a burden to use the system, period, right? Yeah. So it yeah. was not. Yeah, so uh, you know, we had like several that. replacements, and you guys told us some of you liked those replacements, some of you liked other options. But it was really mixed, and we didn't. We knew that since we didn't find one that people were latching onto, that we didn't find the right one, and so that meant yeah. cut it. Yeah. And that's that's the interesting thing. Sometimes you tease out of survey data is that wow, all, everyone's lukewarm about all of these things. Eh, none of these are the answer. Um, so you go back to the drawing board. I, I think you know we were worried that uh, there might be some rejection of goblins as characters, but we found that while there was some reticence. Um, the percentage was really quite small. Um, you know, uh, I, I remember the meeting, it was like two years ago, uh, when I was sitting in a, in a room with Eric and they were like, okay, so you're thinking about adding a new race to the game? And I was like, yeah, we were still calling them race at the time. And I was like, yeah, you know, we're thinking about maybe Orc. And, you know, they were starting to kick that around about Orcs and Galarian and stuff. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just stopped the meeting and I went, wait, 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 wait. We're known for goblins. What are we doing? It has to be goblins. We put Orc in. The first question we're going to get is, why didn't you put Goblin in? What's wrong with you? Um, so we did. Uh, like uh, It's also illustrative of, like, we can look at the message boards and we can look at the surveys and see the See gulf. the difference, yeah. yeah. Because a lot of people were a lot louder on the message boards about the goblins, where if you look at the survey results, they were much more popular. There, yeah, and that's, that's something we found interesting. Like, the things that made the message board mad was not always the thing that made the survey folks upset. Like, we would see echoes of it, but we wouldn't see nearly the kind of fervor. Uh, some of that's just well, the nature yeah, of the way. the nature of surveys the, in some ways. Well, and it's the nature of how kind of message board culture works. Oh, yeah, sure. Too, so. Like, there um, were times not that, that we, we... Not that we discount that sort of feedback. Yeah. We of just, course. You know, that's just only so much you can do. Yeah, we, we, we considered both, but it was also easy, easy to compare the two. Yeah. Because of the and data. there are things you could cross-tab. Like, if you were thinking, well, I didn't like that thing Mark said, 90% of people. Well, 10% of people still didn't like it. And... Yeah. The one thing I cross-tab and found a huge amount of correspondence between was the people who didn't want to change Paladins at all um, also didn't want almost any of the other class oh. changes. <laughs> so if it, unfortunately, if you were in the 10% on, on some of those things, you may have been on the 10% for a lot of things. And yeah. so, and those people may have posted in every thread on the message boards that there was, and we got a lot of Some feedback from them did. there. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but out of our surveys, they only submitted one survey. Yeah. So, um, I think you know we 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 studied all that data, and there there came a point in time. I think it was around November where we started writing the giant whiteboard in my office, which I'm gonna throw up a photo of it here at some point in time oh, before no. I finally erase it. That just has the action list of every single thing we wanted to look yeah. at. We, the entire whiteboard is filled with text about that tall. Yeah. Oh, of this, everything there's we over a hundred things. This, is like, a, this yeah. is like a three foot by four foot whiteboard and it is covered in text this tall. Yeah, uh, there, there, are 100, there are a hundred things for everything from like rage, change rage to 
Remove resonance. Yes. Yeah. So and that's two words. Not, and yeah. remove resonance is, let me tell you, a lot more than two words worth of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of them were simple. Some of them were very, very, very complicated. Now I, I, I've got to warn you. When I go in and uh, you know talk to Jason and give him updates, uh, I have a bad habit of like doing this with my Leaning hair on the whiteboard. So there's a section of the whiteboard you're not going to be able to read. <laughs> yeah. there's a spot Once you get to the treasure the lower, chapter, it's the kind of lower hard to read. Left, yeah. or the lower right corner yep. is kind of wiped away. Right, yeah. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You we won't get those spoilers. We can reconstruct so, it. They're all somewhere yeah, back they're here. Back there. Take <laughs> so we learned a lot. And we took all of that to make Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Uh, here throughout the show, we're showing it off. Uh, in the coming weeks and months, we're going to be showing it off more and more and more. Uh, we're doing Glass Cannon here. We're doing the Oblivion of Live play. We've got a lot of other exciting things that we're going to be uh, doing in the next few months to show off uh, a ton of this yeah. game. And, yep. and, you, and can, you can play first level at the Delve. Yeah, and right. you can play first mm -hmm. level here at the show. As a matter of fact, right after this. That's where Anytime. I'm going. Uh, so you can come down and play with me. Want to so, give them 15 minutes of questions? Yeah, let's open it up to questions because we've been, we've oh, been yeah, chattering since... the whole time here. Let's open it up. We've got 15 minutes left. Let's go questions. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Uh, hi, Sam. Uh, my name is Sam. Uh, I'm known as Zerg Titan on the forums. Um, I have sort of two questions, but I'll throw one to the side for the sake of group relations and all Thank that. You. It was just yeah, about question, the concern yeah. of like the ma the Cure Minor Wounds wand spamming, but I'll leave that for yeah. you to answer later. Um, my real concern was primarily with the Barbarian, mm -hmm. how in the playtest, the rage powers, like the transformative ones, like turning into a giant or a dragon, it seemed a little weird because with the sort of three or four round rage mechanic, I sort of just kept imagine, imagining Amiri going <laughs> throughout combat because she would literally grow huge and then for one round have to shrink back because of the way the rules are written. Is there something in the rules for those powers in particular where it's like for one round the form is maintained just that as long as you rage the next round it's like continuous? So or? you guys asked for it and in an update at the very least the flying oh. ones don't kill you when you fall. Also rage, <laughs> does, yeah, rage does not last for the same amount of time as it did before. Uh, so yeah, we, Let's we, not dance around it. Rage lasts a minute now. Okay, oh. so Jason, I didn't know what you wanted me to reveal. <laughs> rage, rage, rage lasts a minute. When you're done, you're not fatigued, and, uh, and but, you but you do you, you do can't have rage again again for a while. Interval, so, yeah. but if your combat's lasting more than ten rounds, a you're probably in trouble. You have other so. issues than the fact that you became small. Yeah. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's been rebalanced a bit so that you know. Yeah. Being kind of enraged all the time is not a. a we actually a asked you guys, do you want to be enraged all the time and have weaker powers and be enraged less of the time and have really, really strong powers? Where we decided weaker powers is the same that you have. We didn't weaken them. Yeah. Uh, from Twitch, Severin Laureate wants to know how do wands work? How do wands work? Hey, you got your second question. Do you want to decide Jason. how much of this I'm spoiling for things that I'm supposed to be spoiling later on in the show? Right, that's the question. <laughs> ah, you're all here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why don't we have Logan? Yeah, sure. Logan, so, Logan, so, um, in the very early stages of things, we had a few ideas for wands, and we kind of did an internal survey. It's like, what do you think of these options for wands? It's like fewer charges, but same as first edition. Uh, Use it once per day, and that's and it, it doesn't uh, get expended, you know, that kind of stuff. And we, we had kind of mixed results. We're like, all right, we'll go with, and we were trying the resonance system, so we're like, we'll do something similar to, to classic wands, but have them cost resonance. Um, once resonance went away, we decided nobody's super satisfied with the stick of spells, so we're going to make a wand once per day. You can cast a spell from the wand, and you can try again. 
but you might break your wand forever. Um, so wands are a lot simpler now, and um, they're kind of easier to cost, and we know they aren't going to be as easily spammable. You can still buy a bunch of scrolls, but those take up a lot of, of bulk, and so wands have been greatly simplified. Do you want to so, tell them about so, special wands? So th that's that's the thing, yes. right? There's, okay. there's... They'll find them. <laughs> okay. I'll spoil it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I got this. Uh, so one of the things that I love about it is that it opens up a lot of design space for us. The, the most basic one is just that. You cast it once per day out of the stick. That's it. You get it once per day. You can try and overcast it. You might break it. You might get more. That's it. But it opens up design space for us to treat these like interesting magic items. So there are wands out there that do their thing, but then do something special on top of the spell, right? And in the future, we could do even crazier things that are like, every time you cast this spell, period, if you have this wand in your hand. We found an interesting split in our survey data about wands that much older fans of the game didn't like the 50 charge wand and much younger fans of the game didn't like the 50 charge wand and it times out with like the like age category people of people who started who grew in, three, up five in three, or three or three five thought 50 charges was the way it works everybody who was older than that was like that's not how wands used to work i don't really care how that works <laughs> and i i'm pretty sure that all of the younger crowd are like that's not how they work in harry potter so <laughs> so to be clear, when Logan said nobody wants a stick of spells, about 75% of you guys didn't want it, which surprised us. I know Jason Shocking. was always saying, I think a lot of people are going to want to keep it, so let's be a little more conservative. So yeah. when you guys nope. said you didn't want it, we said, <laughs> I just All right. walked in yeah, yeah. and said, yeah, fine, forget it. Yeah, so some of those, uh, and they, they're also, um, uh, there's no uh, level cap, so you can get Wands yeah. and ninth level spells now yeah, because we don't, we don't have to worry now. about you having that yeah. 50. Oh, meteor swarm. Roll with it. Wand <laughs> meteor swarm, that's right. So uh, I guess my big question is how soon until Cobalt's uh, become an option for PCs, like a fully fleshed out option? Yeah. Don't so, we have a standard template answer for that question? I, we we they, do. They're not in the core room. And I will say this. <laughs> they're not in the core um, We are looking very carefully at how we are going to grow and expand this game in the coming years. Um, I think there are a lot of obvious low-hanging fruit answers that are like, wow, it sure would be weird if they took a long time to put that out. Yeah, we think that too. So, uh, but I'm not going to give you any dates or names or anything like that. I will say this, we plan, you know, we're starting to plan years in advance. Oh, so. screw it. I'm going to spoil it. No! <laughs> don't, don't, don't There's a thing called the future, then. <laughs> Uh, from Twitch, Darren Kaldemeyer asks, squeezing was originally one minute in the playtest. Has this changed in Pathfinder 2? So to make the question clear, squeezing, yes, which in the playtest is not the same as what you're used to, Pathfinder 1 squeezing, where you just kind of duck your head into oh. a smaller area. Squeezing of like, I fit into an area that's this big, took a minute in the playtest. Yeah. But we didn't really tell you what to do in the I'm ducking my head. In the final version of the rules, we say, if you're ducking your head, it's kind of difficult terrain, and you're, I think you're flat-footed, and it's difficult terrain, and then that's it. Yeah. You don't take a minus four to ace attack and AC, and that's what you do. Yeah. If you are still squeezing Hi, through a space that is that narrow, it's a minute. I was waving to someone on the internet, Darren. Yeah, oh, Darren. It's always, yeah. in, our, it's Darren. always in our Twitch. Hey, Darren. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have way too many questions. Yeah. Take one. Take one. I know. I know. Make it good. Pick one you think is going to get uh, the best spoilers out of us. Yeah, yeah look at what Jason's given away future. so far. <laughs> I'm still debating which one. Okay, this is the one that I need to Go. I need to resolve on. Yeah. So, uh, slight 
anecdote during part part four. That was the TPK test, right? Five. Five. Five, five, five. of the TPK test. So Just all with, the demons. Was, so with the flying witch, I had a situation where one of my players, like, I rolled, oh, that didn't hit. I rolled, oh, that didn't hit. I rolled, oh, that hit. Oh, that hit, et cetera, et cetera. And one of my players was able to figure out instantaneously, oh, that thing is a level 12 monster. Uh-huh. How? So... Rolling behind the screen? Not, <laughs> not what I'm. Is this is this kind of about the monster numbers kind of being too samey? Is that uh, kind of the pretty much as well as variation in stuff? So, I will say this. Uh, I, I if I could boil down the essence of your question, I think what you're trying to get at is the way that some of the stock formulas were built. You ended up with a lot of things ending up at a lot exactly the same spot, which made some of the aspects of the game predictable. I think during the playtest, we were trying to keep that so that the numbers were more predictable. Because right. we were because trying we to test, test data. the numbers. Right. If we don't find the average, we don't know how the average works. Yeah. I think I think we did this we did this crazy pass through the bestiary toward the end, uh, which we called the Sudoku pass, <laughs> um, which uh, involved us going through and making sure that monster numbers made sense with some of the numbers that were floating around on them. And uh, that resulted in monsters with a lot more varied numbers. And it also allowed us to push things being like, oh, this guy's more of a bruiser, he should have a higher attack bonus, let's push that up higher, versus another monster at the exact same level, which would then have something lower. So we, we, we did address that in a lot of different okay. ways. Moving on to lightning round questions. Yes. Uh, Steve Geddes asks, uh, what is your favorite single change from Pathfinder 1 to Pathfinder 2? Ooh. Ooh. Single favorite change. We can't all say the action economy. No, so I am going to say the Let Steven say the action economy. Yeah. The action economy is uh, brilliant. For me, it's the, the proficiency system. The Ooh, fact that yeah, whenever I say I'm a master at this, I'm a, trained at this, I'm an expert at this, you automatically know how to calculate it like that. It's not, oh, I better go look that up. Uh, yeah, nobody wants to go look that up. Yeah. It's it's all level plus zero, two, four, six, or eight. You know one person out there is going to... Wait, it's not level plus zero, it's zero. Well, oh, it's, it's zero. zero, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah zero, 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 but, zero for yeah. trains. My favorite thing is kind of a, a mass of things, which is like a bunch, of, a bunch of little bonuses and penalties and various things that you had to track and the player could calculate everything out exactly. I like how we kind of removed a bunch of kind of the little crafty ones and let the GM have a little more leeway on how yeah. they set things. Yeah. And, and determine situations. So with the ones you guys picked, I'm going to say my favorite that is a, a little lower hanging that not as many people say, degrees of success. The ability to have four possible outcomes means that we don't have to take away your ability to win automatically or the ability for someone on a great saving throw to have nothing happen. Even though those two are incredibly unfun for the spellcaster when they happen, we can put them into low probability situations and then have two fun things that happen most of the time. And having that throughout the system instead of just hodgepodge through some of the skills. Like it was all through PF1 where sometimes there were four degrees yeah. of success. It just didn't say that. And well, it, they, did not work the they didn't all work the same. There's two side effects of that which are really interesting, which is if you have spells or powers or abilities that have a really devastating critical failure on the save, uh, you, want, you actually want to kind of throw those at lower level bad guys because that are lower than you, because they'll probably crit fail and get wiped off yep. the board. It allows those characters to fill their role kind of more organically in that, oh, we're facing a ton of low-level guys. Well, the spellcaster can wipe out half of those quickly. 
Um, and then everybody else can go into mop Jason just took the second half of my thing. That's exactly no. right. Uh, many, many other systems with... Taker. You I took am. it. You <laughs> took it. Because a lot of other systems to try to get a solo monster against a party to work, a lot of mooks against the party to work, have, you have to have minion rules. You have to have like rules for special elite or solo monsters. We don't, and critical successes and failures are one of the main reasons why we do yeah. not. And and I will also say that on the on the last bit on that, it also allowed us to eventually come up with the basic save category. Oh yeah. Um, which a basic save just means nothing on a crit success. This is on a saving throw. Nothing on a crit success. Half on success. Full on failure. Double on crit failure. And that's just what it means. So whenever you're in the book and it's like, oh, you know, you cast this spell, it does eighty six damage. Basic fortitude. That's it. That's how short that can be now, and it means the same. Thing. Jason really liked my answer. He had yeah. a lot of things. No, I, don't, I, I took so much. <laughs> I took. Now, um, in the playtest, are sort of some of the changes with the character options, uh, say half elves, half orcs, and the like, have been condensed down now into uh, racial and heritage options. Yes. Now, there was a little retooling in one of the later updates with some of the more options. Um, how much, if any, uh, additional you know, tooling and playing around has gone into that uh, you know sort of working on future stuff when you're factoring in things like the elemental races and celestial things of that we were nature. looking towards that yeah. yeah so so there's some really exciting stuff floating around in there first of all um, the, the, the way the way it works is uh, when you pick your ancestry you now pick your heritage that's the that's typically some physiological aspect of your ancestry that is tied to your character that's where all of those things live now. Your feats are generally not physiological in any way, shape, or form unless you are forced to take them at first level, in which case it's some addendum to your They might require aspect. a piece of physiology yeah, to use them. Yeah, they don't grow but, you a new yeah. one unless yeah, I mean, there's a we, reason We got for rid it. of the thing where you're a goblin and at fifth level you suddenly grow sharper teeth. I mean, <laughs> goblins are weird, but that was a bit far. Yeah, that, that was a bit far there is a, There could be a feat later on where you file your teeth. No, that's fine. that's different. Uh, <laughs> that, that'd be a piece of gear. Um, so, uh, gear in downtown. Yeah, but but it does speak to something really interesting, which is later on we do have the possibility of opening up heritages that are good for more than one ancestry. Because remember how in Golarian, Asimar and Tieflings aren't only based on humans? Well, how we are we going to do, do that? that? We now have rules to do that without having to make 12 different variants. All right, I think... Last question. I think this is going to be the... Uh, yeah, yeah we'll, keep, we'll keep it super, super quick. Yeah. Uh, so, I know you've gone through a dozen different versions of the death and dying rules. Oh, no. yeah, Probably that's... a billion more after the playtest. Yeah. Mm. Uh, why did you Statement. stick with the flat checks? So, uh, uh, we went back and forth on whether or not to stick with the flat check quite a bit, actually, because we had the DC based on the monster for a while, and then we had a flat check. And fundamentally, what it came down to was... We wanted to make sure that the moment when your character went down, you felt that surge of adrenaline, that everybody at the table perked up and paid attention. And we didn't think that the payoff for having to have a number that you have to look up, that you have to keep secret, that is all this separate thing, was really worth it. It wasn't doing the work we wanted it to do. Uh, whenever we were talking about game mechanics and how we do them, it's always about adding complexity for value. Right, so if we're gonna add complex things to the game, we wanna make sure they're doing the work we're putting them in to do. Because if they're not, 
they just make the game harder for no good goddamn reason. So uh, we, you know, we really do work hard to make sure that, that that is the way that works. And in this case, that number wasn't doing anything for us other than making the game hard. Um, so yeah, that's fundamentally why we went with Blackjack, and it is what we kept. Uh, but we really ish. liked, yeah, ish. I, I would say we really liked the evolution that ended up happening, where you go down and you gain dying, and then you come back up, and you have the wounded condition. So if you go back down again, you get much much closer to dead. And it really forces people to play differently, which is what we need. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be the... That's, that's it. it. All right. Okay. Fantastic. All right. Thank you very much for coming, everybody. We really do appreciate it. I hope you guys have a great PaisoCon. Bye, we everyone. We'll see you all next time.